Welcome to this Food Thing podcast. This is the place where we talk about our relationship with food, whether it is friend or foe, easy or less so, and how it affects our behavior. I'm so excited to introduce our first ever video course, the Creative Recovery Accelerator, or for ease, the CRA. What story do you tell yourself about your eating disorder? What feelings and emotions are you trying to avoid with your ED behaviors? How do you talk to your body? And what beliefs are you hanging on to to keep you where you are? The CRA will work on all ED and addictive behaviors. And wherever you are along your recovery journey, it will help you either stay on track, start or accelerate further. Make peace with yourself, shift your perspective and get well. I know how hard it is to let go of ED and addictive behaviors, which is why I've created the CRA, so we can help as many people as possible. Just visit lovethisfoodthing.com forward slash accelerator for all of the details. Here's today's episode. Welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Patrick Spring. Patrick has recently arrived in my locale all the way from LA and relocated just up the road. My good fortune continues. Patrick is a top level muscle activation RX practitioner, which he will explain in a moment, and the author of Health and Fitness Perspective. He is responsible for numerous transformations regarding wellness and optimum health with his ticker tape length client list, having also been a personal trainer for over 20 years across the globe. I had a muscle activation technique session, mat session with Patrick, and was completely blown away. Muscle activation techniques deals with trauma and how the body holds the score, but I will leave it to Patrick to tell us more. Patrick, welcome to Love This Food Thing podcast. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to be here. Well, it's amazing. You're like a kind of add-on guest at the end, which is brilliant that I have the freedom to do that. Oh, that's great. I'm so glad it worked out. Um, so did I get it right there? Are you? It Does it deal with trauma? It, it does. It addresses um, stress, trauma, overuse. Mm-hmm. It, it, um, and the body doesn't know the difference between emotional, chemical, or physical stress. The way we're addressing it is through the neuromuscular system. Okay. So, we're, so we're treating you through muscle tests and palpations. Okay. Um, What's a palpation? Palpations are when you're going on into the origin and the insertion of the muscle, and you're just going in there and kind of pushing in there to open up the ion channels or just to draw the nervous system's attention to the muscle that you just found weak. And then you go back and retest and kind of teach the nervous system how to cue into that and kind of close out that file and move on to the next muscle that you, that you find weak. So before we, before I ask my usual beginning question, my, because we've talked a bit, haven't we? So I've had a few sessions and I had an extraordinary, um, tiredness, after my first session that went on for about three or four days, I kind of react like that anyway to lots of treatments. And also I know that you're more science orientated. I would have said your kind of position is scientific. Right. And I, my experience was um, not more holistic, but I, I, I found it profound, you know, I would have said it was more of a um, emotional, not a spiritual experience, but very emotional because the muscles that you were activating and and I could feel the energetic release. And so stuff was like coursing through my system. Yeah. Which I didn't need to put a name to, but I knew that things were shifting. Yeah. Um, 
that didn't feel very scientific to me. Do you see, do you see what kind of where I'm coming from? Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely can see where you're coming from. And I think um, in the first session, it was more spot treating and we kind of got into, um, you know, bringing areas of the body that were, were weak and you kind of pain diminished, but yeah. then you felt fatigue. And then as we went on, we kind of had spot treated and then we went into more of like a nervous system reset, a holistic, which is the RX approach. And I think that's when maybe you didn't start feeling as tired. Okay. Um, so it can be just individual people's reaction to it. And it is, again, it's, it might in helping someone or bringing something up to speed the muscular system, maybe the next time you go and work out, maybe it's a, a stress that kind of shifts things off again. Um, we just don't know. But as we go, the important thing for me is the cumulative effect that you keep feeling better and better and less and less pain, uh, less and less inflammation. Um, and that would be my goal. But I know what you're saying it's hard to because as I said, the body doesn't know the difference between that chemical, physical, emotional stress. So it, it can have an effect on all of those things. So then you could say chemical, physical and emotional trauma, couldn't you? You could say that, yes. So as you're easing the, well, it's not, it is a, it is physical trauma, but it's, it's, it's held in the body energetically, isn't it? So as you're just, I'm being very basic here, but as you're easing a muscle or the source of a muscle, you are also easing the emotional system, the mental system, the limbic system, the... Well, all of those stresses have an effect on the, on the muscular system. And if you were, we're just addressing the neuromuscular system, but we're kind of bringing that up to speed and getting that strong enough so your body has the opportunity to not only have other muscles kind of do their job, but also emotional, you might feel a little better. Like they, it's been shown to pro, improve brainwave activity and um, heart rate variability can improve doing this. So even though we're not directly addressing that, we're just addressing it in a very scientific way with regard to the neuromuscular system, has that carryover effect into other things that may be outside the scope of practice for something that I can address directly, mm. but indirectly it's having a really beneficial effect because the body sensing that stability is it's going to carry over into the nervous system, get you out of fight, flight or freeze right. and get you into relax and recover. And that's why you start to feel better as we do this. Because you are embodying your body. Yes. In a way that many of us don't. Yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly right. Okay, we're going to go back to all of that. But I'm going to ask you the question. <clears throat> Would you describe your relationship with food as a friend or a foe? Um, you know, I think probably early on I had some like relatives who really struggled with weight. Uh-huh. And I saw that not as only... In too much, too little? Too, too much weight and uh -huh. just really unhealthy and really struggling like to move around and be mobile. Wow. Um, you know, when I met them, I was only in my 20s and they were in their 40s. They were 10 years younger than I am now. And I used to think of them as just older than my parents who right. were in their 50s, <laughs> you know? And, and, and I think it just kind of um, cemented something for me that, oh my gosh, I I can't let that happen to myself. So it was almost like fearful and it didn't come so much with food because at first I could kind of eat anything, but then I would make workout. Like I would work out to compensate for the fact that Oh, I, you did do that. Yeah. So I think I kind of took another approach. Like I have to master this and I have to have this, um, I have to have this workout so well done that it will counteract food. And, and, and with time it's, 
morphed into a more healthy relationship and you have that symbiotic relationship where the, the nutrition is feeding the workout and the workouts feeding the nutrition. In other words, you go, you work out, you feel like you have more at stake, um, because you've, you've done a good kind of healthy uh-huh. activating workout for yourself. And uh-huh. then you want to treat yourself right and eat well versus doing like a kind of crazy overdoing it workout. You're over fatigued. You've created all this inflammation and then it creates that unhealthy effect of, Oh my gosh, I got to have you know, stuff myself with whatever. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, so I think it's changed maybe to more recently friend, but there's always periods of life where it can quickly become foe. Um, I, I definitely, I definitely think that. How were you brought up with food? What was your family like? My family was very much, it was Italian and Irish. So there was a lot oh, of food, Italian especially, and Irish. yeah, Sicilian really. Oh, I, you're Sicilian? My, yeah, I'm Sicilian. I can't. Yeah. It's my favorite place in the world. It, it's a great place. Yeah, I was just there a, a couple years, ago, three years ago, right you? before COVID. Yeah, Palermo. Okay. Yeah, just in Palermo. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and, and a little bit in outside neighboring, but not not all over. Okay. I only had three days there. Okay. So we, we kind of tried to make the most of, yeah. of the Palermo and surrounding area, but there's so many more Oh, it's things. my favorite island. Yeah, yeah. 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 My sister was just there. Uh, I think last year and okay. they spent about a week there and they loved it. Yeah. She's like, you missed this. You missed that. My own things. Well, now at least I live closer so I can make it back over <laughs> yeah, there. Exactly. Soon. Exactly. But so, so is, was food very important? Was it kind of the currency oh, yeah. of love and all those it, it, it absolutely was. Yeah. It was okay. the currency of love. It was always like the joke. I remember my mom would make cheesecake and then there'd be a joke of people would be sneaking down in the middle of the night to have the last piece. And, you know, there was definitely, um, my first freshman year in college, I remember my mom would send me whole apple pies <laughs> in the mail <laughs> and, I, and I'd be, sometimes I'd be eating them and sharing them. And sometimes I'd be like, man, I don't know when I'm going to have another pie like this. So I better finish this like now I'll order a pizza and then I'll, and then go so, work out. Yeah. And then go work out. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, uh, well, I don't want to go too far off into that tangent, but we know at a certain time you can kind of get up, get by with completely overdoing it and overcompensating with the workouts. Mm. And with time, you build up an imbalance. Mm-hmm. And that's what MAT addresses. I'm not even just to draw it back in there, but because you build up these imbalances, we think it's just age or, um, you know, oh, I used to be able to do that, but I can't anymore. But what happens is you do really build up these imbalances. And then all of a sudden, if your way of kind of overeating and compensating with exercise, it's not going to work long term. Um, but so with MAT, you'd never want to encourage someone or enable someone to do that. But a lot of the things that I thought were broken with time as I've gone into the MAT, had it done to myself, I'm like, oh, wow, it's actually not. But when you do get things back in order and you do get really healthy, you want to keep it that way. And that's why we talk about those workouts that stimulate, but don't annihilate. And that are kind of reinforcing the MAT rather than, well, I'll just go out there and break it. Unless I'll say this, you know, I've I've said, unless you're getting paid a million dollars or you know, whatever. It's like your profession, you're an athlete. I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense to me that you may have to do something that may break whatever we've set up. And then we start to keep building your tolerance up, but that's a different scenario. You know, um, I think it's nice to be treating your, yourself, um, in a, in a really positive, healthy way with exercise and nutrition. And again, they do feed in a themselves and build upon themselves. I'm interested in, uh, um, we, I'm going to, we're going to do a whole section on, um, Matt. Okay. I'm interested in any kind of dynamic in your family that was all or nothing because, uh, or because I can, I'm picking up on a kind of streak of perfectionism 
and right. particularly in relation to what you said about which, which that whole kind of pursuit of perfectionism is so easily then manifested in restricted eating or you know overeating and getting rid of it or whatever in some kind of eating disorder behavior and I'm wondering I hear you that you said that you would work out work out work out and then eat whatever you wanted but you'd yeah. be compensating I'm wondering how you changed that and how long that lasted for and yeah, yeah can you well, talk a bit about that yeah well I think a lot of people have that and yeah. lots of people who listen to this podcast are over exercisers yes and they will be under eating over exercising um, and we can talk about that a little yeah. bit later but how about for you well and I think this is the biggest issue um I was listening to episode 59 is with Maria. Good man. Yeah. Oh, I was very impressed. She mentioned that it's ego syntonic. Yeah. And this Great work. exercise. Yeah, it is. I, I had to, I look, had it to look it up too. <laughs> and I had to listen to her, what she said a couple of times. And, <laughs> and then, then I looked look it, it up, up and as compared. well and go, okay. Well, no, it just resonated for me because I was like, that was for me. Like, why would I change this? Because this goes along with my values and this is a good thing. Yes, I why can, would you I change can... something that's destructive? Yeah, yeah. Well, because wh- you're, you're getting something from it. You're getting a, a benefit from yes. it and you're like able to control, of course. right? So yeah. you're able, if you have like some sort of turmoil in your life, you're like, yeah. oh, well, I can gain and lose that same weight. And I have, it's something I have control over. I can hang on to. Um, so I think early on it became like, oh yeah, this is just a positive thing in a way of, you know, channeling my energy into something good. Like people always are like, oh, what's exercise? At least it's not like a drug addiction or, or, or something else, but it's like, well, if it's mm. breaking your body yeah. and beating you up and then long-term it ends up making you eat more, um, then it can be a negative thing. They've done lots of studies on excessive cardio and they find, especially for, for women, and maybe it's just because they're answering the um, the surveys. It dictates honestly, of society as well. Yeah. 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 Well, they found that the more cardio you do, the more generally people tend to eat. And they found that so, especially with, with females. And again, I, what I was saying is they might be answering the surveys more accurately and then the males, I don't know. But what they found was like, yeah, the more and more you do after a certain point, there's a healthy amount of cardio to do. But if if you keep going, it's just, you're going to, you end up eating back those calories. Um, But there's, yeah, I'm, I'm more, less, less interested in the calories. I'm interested in the, uh, mental states and the, the kind of, um, how we get stuck. Yeah. And I, I just know lots and lots of young women who overexercise and will run for like an hour and a half yes and not be eating enough yep. or not be eating anything and they're thinking that they're losing weight because you know they're anorexic or have anorexic behaviors and they're they're just stuck in that and then as you rightly say they will then go and overeat and binge yes and they will feel terrible about it terrible about themselves they might purge or they might go and do two days of not eating right. and then go and run for two hours right. every day that week. Right. And I'm talking about, I've kind of lost my way now, but I'm talking about how, well, A, how did you get out of that zone? Yeah. And um, yeah, I want to talk about how detrimental that is to the body. Even though yeah. if you're in that state, you don't hear it. Right. Because you know, don't yeah. you? You know yeah. in your heart. Well, you might be looking in the mirror and getting a really positive idea of how you look and feel. And then unfortunately in our society, people might be telling you how great you look and feel, even if you've 
under, and then one thing is like, oh my gosh, you look so great. I mean, it, it's, it's everyone kind of, and especially we've talked about it in social media, we see all these things reflected back upon us and how things should look. And you just get this unrealistic idea of yeah. what life should look like and what the human body should look like. Um, yeah, but I definitely see that in my years as a trainer, again, it's out, it's been outside my scope, scope of practice to address it sometimes. And so I send people to like a medical or a registered dietitian or even a therapist yeah. who's, you know, qualified to deal with it. But from my perspective, watching people on their journey, I'd find that a lot of things were driven by this emotional desperation, you know, and, and they would make these changes through de desperation rather than inspiration, right? Because what was driving the desperation? It could be, I honestly, I, I talked about this at one point with you. A lot of times I would just see like turmoil in their life. Like maybe someone's like going through a divorce or they're having an affair or, and this isn't even something that with clients I had, this would just be with people I talked to in the gym mm -hmm. and I'd find yeah. out like, oh, two years later, oh, I guess I was right about that. We had a conversation or it could be like, hey, I'm getting... I'm getting married and I'm, I want to, I want to fit into this dress or I want to fit into my tuxedo. It could be all of this. And then people end up at their wedding being in the best shape of their life. And then they great, take these great pictures, but then 20 years later, they look back, oh, that was I, the best I ever felt. But what they did to get themselves there in an unhealthy manner makes them think like, oh, the only way I can lose weight is if I what you were saying earlier, exercise for an hour and a half, barely anything. And it's actually not like that. If it's like medication, you want to get the perfect dose. If you do too little, it doesn't have an effect. If you do too much, it has a detrimental effect. If you do the right amount, that's what the sweet spot of what we're really trying to get into. Because if you eat the right amount, it's more than what a lot of people think. I think also because I don't want to trigger anyone talking about losing weight. Yes. So, and it's, you know, I mean, that's just a cliche, isn't it? Everyone wants 100%. to look fab on their wedding day and that's, that's, that's the cliche. That's why I'm bringing so, it up because yeah. most people look at that as a positive thing. But as a trainer, right, I'm right, saying, right, right. why are you putting all of this into one day? You're going to be unhealthy uh -huh. for the rest of your life because you starved yourself to fit into the tuxedo, to fit into this. And then... I, I, it needs to be more health-based rather than the, oh, can I fit into the dress? Can I fit into the And tuxedo? feeling happy and healthy in your right, body. Right. Yes. Right. Instead Before of, we have a quick break, yeah. how did you turn it around in yourself? Was it from watching people and learning from them? Because it's a very, uh, can be a very healing relationship, can't it? Learning yeah. from people that you're teaching. That can be an element of it. Yeah. You, you start to try to embody something and learn from other people. I mean, I'm Did you see yourself reflected back and think, Absolutely. oh, okay. Yeah you, see, yeah, you see it. And then you see sometimes this is a really interesting thing. Sometimes when you're really on and you're really dialed in and kind of in a, in a state, all your clients start to go down that route. And then other right. times when you're in a struggle, all of a sudden you're like, why is my client doing this? Why are they? And you get these reflections back at you. You're like, yeah, I can't course. believe everyone is misbehaving so much. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm doing the same thing. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, again, I, I'm not trying to trigger anyone with quote unquote misbehaving. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, right? I know, but, I but know. just, you know, kind of keeping it light. Okay, okay, yeah. we're going to take a quick break. Welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. I'm here with Patrick. And obviously we've just done a podcast episode in the break. <laughs> yes. And we say, yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. Can and then we just you... repeat exactly what we said? That was brilliant. <laughs> and then you press record and you go, ah, who am I? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, where were we? So we were talking about transformations. We were talking about 
this pursuit of a physical transformation, which is part of a eating disorder behaviour. I'm going to link it back to eating disorder behaviours at the moment. Um, of course, they're about many things, but they're also, I think, mainly defences. And we manifest our distress and our dis-ease on our body and with our relationship with food. And we demonise our body and we demonise food. Of course, it's about something completely different. And what Patrick and I were saying in the break was that this pursuit of this kind of external transformation kind of doesn't mean anything because inside nothing's changed. And I also said to Patrick, you're never fit enough. You never look quite right. Never quite the right size shape that you think you want to look. And you're dependent on other people saying, oh, wow, look, look at this, this and this. Mm -hmm. But then of course you go, well, I, yeah, but I don't believe you, you know? Yeah. So yeah, can you talk a bit around, around that? Because you said these people on the back to the wedding days. Oh yeah. The, um, would, go on. Field. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, these the people on their wedding day, they have that ultimate physical transformation and they know they're going to be surrounded by everyone. They know they're going to be looked at. Mm. And then, um, you know, I'd see people six months later and they'd be not just externally, you know, maybe gained the weight or just not looking as good, but more importantly, just feeling terrible and feeling disappointed in themselves. Like, oh, I, I ruined it on my honeymoon and I did this. Well, and it's just, well, no, it was such an extreme you did to get there for that picture that then on your honeymoon, when people weren't watching, you just kind of let go and started getting back at somewhere in the middle. But again, I just think it's so much, I mean, so much of what we have in social media, in shows, reality shows are people watching us do this transformation. And it's driven from that desperation and being judged. I mean, the shows are literally like, oh my gosh, you're going to lose the most weight this week. And you're trying to lose it faster than anyone should lose it. And then the reputation of the people helping you is also on the line. So we create all these ex external pressures mm -hmm. to make someone achieve something. And then you talk to scientists who do studies on all these people who win the winners, right? The quote unquote winners of these shows. Mm. And then they all gain 95% like of the people gain the weight back and some, and you say to the presser or the scientist, is that surprising? And no, that's exactly what we would have expected to have happened. Because? Because there's, when you lose weight or gain weight too fast, your body has like a biological set point. It like wants to kind of maintain homeostasis and slowly make changes. It doesn't want you to lose a ton of weight because you could die. It doesn't want you to gain a ton of weight because you could die. So we find this inverse effect when someone eats less and less and less, they survive on less and less calories and they start to burn less and less calories. And when they eat more and more and more up to a certain point, they start to burn more and more calories. So you want to be on the side of eating more to continue to burn calories. Now, the problem is when someone does it and they start eating and then stopping and eating and then stopping, now they're really messing with their metabolism. You know, they'll slow down, they'll, they'll barely eat anything, lose a bunch of muscle mass, get dehydrated, and then all of a sudden come back in, eat a bunch, your body can barely process that. And more importantly, what are they doing to their nervous system? They're in tons of inflammation. They're in that fight, flight, or freeze. The cortisol levels are up. All these things, it's just creating an unhealthy environment for the person. Um, how does inflammation relate to trauma, as in the body holding on to trauma? Well, trauma will produce that inflammation. I mean, just having the 
the emotional stress, right, can create a bunch of inflammation, which again, exacerbates or causes every major disease. That's like mainstream medical professionals nowadays agree um, with that. Yeah. And when we're talking about inflammation, we're talking about, can you describe how, what you define as inflammation? Well, just a stressed out state in the body where the body- Too much cortisol. Yeah, too much cortisol. You're, you're having a negative hormonal cascade. You're right. in, um, you know, sympathetic nervous system where you're just like, you know, again, that fight, fight or, flee, or freeze yeah. where you can't process and relax and even like process your food and recover and, you know, do the necessary things that your body needs to so, maintain homeostasis. Okay, sorry. Would you say that someone who's restricting food, not eating, is in a state of flight? Because you can't digest anything. There is an inability to take in and digest yeah. experiences, right. feelings yeah. made manifest in the food. Yeah, I, th I think that's, I think that's, accurate to say. I mean, figuratively and literally, that is accurate to say. Yeah. And then also, I think about my own past, but like, you know, consuming, hoovering up vast piles of food, yeah. desperate, like that's a desperation right. kind of feral act of yes. binging. And then and you only taking taste, it all in, right. you don't taste anything. You only taste the first and the last bite, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. And then something in your brain switches and you can eat a shop. Right, you know? right. Um, and then, and then you, 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 you fulfill your need and you hold on to it and then it's unbearable. So still again, you can't digest it. So then you have to get rid of it. And yep. it's the act, well, the, the thing for me was the act of releasing, releasing, releasing and kind of transforming it like was it kind of, um, uh, it was like redemption for me because I could start right. again, but right. I'm just thinking about the digestion and being able to assimilate something. And if you're, if you're in a state of if your system is highly inflamed, you're saying you can't assimilate, you can't digest because you're... Yeah, because yeah, everything's, you're, it's, it's, I mean, we'll think about this way. If, if your body's just trying, you're trying to run or fight for your life, mm. you're not going to be able, your body's probably not going to hang on or to be able to absorb the nutrients that it needs to because you're so busy trying to get away. So you have a snack, you're probably just going to excrete that and move on and continue to run for your life if you ever had time in the first place to pick up something and eat something. So if you think about those primitive states that we might be in when we needed to be and fight, flight, or freeze became a useful thing, but now we're in these daily situations where most most of them don't require that response, but we're, it's, you know, those emotions, those stresses are eliciting those responses, unfortunately, and we're living life as if we're running from saber-toothed tigers, yeah. but we're, we're, we're not. But our body and our brains are going, oh my gosh, that's what's upon us. And, you know, as I mean, in my experience, almost nothing's ever been as bad as the things I've imagined could happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, usually mm -hmm. it's, it's somewhere in between what ends up happening. And um, yeah, it's it's usually when you know, something big does happen, it's, it's dealt with, but it's no amount of the worrying or the trying to control things ever helped or lessened the blow of what ended up transpiring. Yeah. So, but, but yeah, but these, these, uh, disordered states are also about control because of the yeah. anxiety, because what? of the, the desire to flee yes. and feeling you can't, what happens so what happens to the body and the musculature, if I can use that word, yeah. when you deprive yourself of food for a very long time and over-exercise? 
Well, and how do you come out of that in a gentle, kindly way? I'm not talking about the emotions. I'm talking about how you would start to nourish your body. And if you were a massive over-exerciser, would you need to stop the exercise? What What would you suggest? Um because it doesn't it's a work really after good a while, question. does it? Sorry. No, no, you're absolutely right. It, it doesn't work because what's happening if someone's under eating and depriving their body of like the nutrients and the calories they need, they start to lose muscle mass. They start to slow down their metabolism. Um, the way I would say coming out of it would just be lowering the dose, still maybe going for some walks, maybe doing some light resistance training. It could be 15 minutes of resistance training. We tend to undervalue how much like 15 or 20 or 30 minutes and then think, well, if I do, if I do 15 or 20, it's not really going to do anything. And so many people say to me, I had a guy the other day telling me that he's working with a trainer and it's great because two days after his workout, he's very, very sore. And so he knows he's done something positive. And really that's just a sign that you probably overdid something. If there's any soreness, that's indicative of inflammation and the soreness and the results happen in tandem. You right. don't need the soreness to get the results. Yeah. So that's just the, but people will still tell me that even newer trainers will, will say that and, and, and hang on to these things because that's what we used to think. Oh, you got to tear down the body and then it builds itself back up again. You tear it down, build it up. But um, yeah, I just think moderation would be a good way to slowly approach it and just respect for your body and taking time and being patient with yourself and giving yourself 20 minutes. And it's funny when you do 20 minutes of exercise and a little 15 minute walk, and then you sit down at the table, you're not starved. You just want to give your, and you give yourself the nutrients, you deserve them and you take them in. It's just like, you get that really symbiotic, positive relationship going mm -hmm. where you're just exercising the right amount eating an, like an appropriate amount so you feel satisfied. And that's the challenge. I think it's um, just because you know how to do something doesn't mean it's not going to continue to take work. It's like the seven habits of highly successful people. And yeah. then the person gets successful and then they write another book. Well, what are the habits of staying successful? It's like, strangely enough, they're repeating the same things that make you successful. And that's the same thing with the food. It's never going to be, well, I exercise so much. I'm done. I mean, I'm fit now. I don't need to work out. Oh, I've eaten the perfect amount. I'm done. You know, and I think we think that we're going to get to a point to that perfection yeah. where we know longer need to do it. Whoa, we're enlightened with food and physicality and everything. It's like, mm. it doesn't get there, you know? And, and that's the beauty of it because it's constantly evolving and it's constantly growing and you're constantly able to continue to move forward. But I know I, in my own life, I mean, we're, you're struggling for also at the same time, that control, which is in juxtaposition to all that stuff I just said, like, well, do you want this controller? Do you want to be able to evolve and grow and have unpredictable, cool things happen? <laughs> or do you want to be predictable? Because <laughs> I know I can, can deal with this, <laughs> even yeah. though I hate it, yeah. but I can deal with it. Yeah. You know, yes. and then this over here is like, oh, well, this great stuff could happen, but I don't know how to deal with that. I'd rather we're, just stick here. Yeah. And we're not set up for it, are we? It's a society. No. And thinking outside the the box. Right. So someone who exercises for half an hour is going to have much greater benefit than someone who's flogging away for an hour and a half 
Yes. Every day. Yes. Going exercise. I'm really want to talk about this over exercise thing because I think it's really important. But going, you know, exercising when your body's exhausted, when you're tired, when you've had a long day Mm -hmm. and you're punishing yourself by making yourself, I don't know, run outside in the rain in the dark or go to the gym and lift lots of heavy weights or do two yoga classes and then come home and not eat anything. Right. So what happens to the musculature? It obviously atrophies. Right. Does it start to break down? Yeah. I mean, you lose the musculature and then as importantly, the metabolism starts to slow down. So now instead of burning whatever you were burning before, you're burning calories. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, we yeah. always look at like, well, what are we doing? How many calories are we burning in the workout? Well, if you're taking the biggest, heaviest person in the room with a lot, and the reason I'm saying that, like, is because they have a lot of mess of muscle mass too, mm. and maybe also body fat. But when they move around, they burn a lot of calories. Yeah. So a lot of times when they say, "Oh, this ex this exercise routine burns 500, 700 calories," they're taking like the 200, 250 pound people in the back of the room. They're burning you know, 500, 600, 700 calories. But the person at the front of the room who, who might be lighter, whatever, they might not, they may only be burning 200 calories. My point of talking about those calories is not to set anyone off, but to say that we're not interested in what you're burning during the workout. We're interested what you're doing to your body to have a positive effect on it. Because if you look at the cumulative effect of what the body is burning, just sitting around breathing, you want to create this efficient, healthy body that burns 200 calories just sitting around or 2000 calories just sitting around during the day. So if you have a body that's very healthy, it's burning 3000 calories. So now all of a sudden those numbers like 500 calories Mm -hmm. mean nothing because I care more about having this healthy body that's functioning optimally. And, you know, um, that's what I'm after. So again, it doesn't become, well, I went and beat myself up and I did all this stuff because 500 is nothing compared to 3000. So you want to keep thinking, stay healthy get out of that fight or flight freeze, get into rest and recovery. Cause that's where your body becomes this efficient machine. And, you know, but it's also about how you feel. And I think, isn't it? It's how you, you feel, feel in better. your body. Yeah. But you'll feel better in those. Yeah. Lots of people or lots of us, we live in our heads and we're not aware of our body. If you said to, uh, well, at me many years ago, if you said to me, can you feel your, I don't know, right big toe? not imagining it, feeling it, I would have really struggled. Right. Because I wouldn't have been present in my body. I wasn't embodied. I was in my, I was out of my body. Yeah. And I think if you're punishing yourself in the way that we're talking about, you can't be in your body because it's just too painful. Yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of people are are not in their, in their body. I mean, I don't want to transition. This is before MAT in... No, we, training. No, yeah. Well, you, a lot of people would, if you ask them, are you in, are you in pain? Well, it's not pain. And you know, the, we start having this big discussion about, well, it's not pain. It's a little discomfort. I'm like, okay, well, all right. Well, can we try to do stuff that doesn't make, make you cause discomfort? You know, it's like they, there's this whole thing. They start to lose um, kind of their perception of is this painful? Is this helping? Is this hurting? And it's, and they really are not. It's just because they're not in their bodies. They're not. And and when I work with people who are in their bodies, it's a totally different experience. So sometimes I can really help people who are in those certain situations and they're not in their bodies and you can help, help them come into it. But a lot of people who aren't in their bodies will experience chronic pain. Not always. I mean, sometimes it's, it's due to like an acute injury. Sometimes it's it is more of a, of a chronic thing, but, um, 
and and we also talked about the food where there's just certain people where I would see a line of okay this is someone that I'm not going to be able to help so I refer out <laughs> yeah. to someone but you see those common factors of of people who are attaining their goal you know their desired goal that they say they want yeah. and they see that people who are who are just you know struggling maybe a little longer um or they quickly vacillate back and forth between, oh, I, they got to their goal weight, but even at the goal weight or whatever, again, they weren't happy about it and they were stressed about it. It's, it's, um, I, I think- It's inside out, isn't it? It's upside down, it's inside out, it's the wrong way around. Yeah, yeah, For the, it, it's because it's never gonna be good enough, right? But we live in this physical world. Yeah. 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 What was I gonna say? I think it's gone out of my head. So I'm gonna blame menopause and <laughs> hit the pause button. <laughs> Welcome back to Love This Food Thing Podcast. I'm here with Patrick. So this final section, if I can keep quiet, is devoted to Matt. And I was just thinking, if I'd experienced this kind of treatment maybe 20 years ago, I'd be in a very different place because I think I'm probably pain-free for the first time in a long time. I had problems with my hips and my ankles and... I've had a lot of help along the way and seen some amazing people. But I think what you're doing, or the technique, and I know it's relatively new, yep. is exceptional. And I think it should be available, particularly to people who are struggling with their bodies, because yep. there's this ease that happens and yep. this kind of nourishment. And it's not about a nourishing touch because it can be quite painful, can't it, while you're releasing the tension at the source of the yeah. muscle. Yeah, when you're activating when you're the muscle. Yeah, when you're palpating and palpating. trying to activate that muscle. Man, it hurts, that yeah. Can, it can be painful. It can. Some people have sensations of, oh, it's ticklish. And some people are just like, whoa, it's yeah, painful. Because you're me. trying to, yeah, yeah. No, it, it is. It's, it's, it's um, But I think it's this great, uh, this is just going to sound a bit basic, but this great re relaxer, you know, and... It should be it should be in in hospitals for people you know post op surgery and and hip yeah. replacements and knees and all this stuff. But just tell us a little bit about how the technique started, who started it, yeah. how you got into it, because I know that you have quite a story of how you got into it. I don't know for the fully the details. Yeah, and let's yeah. just talk about it. Yeah, sure. It's yeah, brilliant. yeah. Well, no, it's and it's interesting that so many people talk about it like it's relaxing the body. And it's really, it's activating the muscles. Uh, but when the body is strong and activated and the nervous system's working well, the body relaxes. So it's, right? it's this great activator yeah, then, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. because right. if the muscles are all there and working well, the body doesn't have to have any tightness. Usually when you feel tightness in a muscle group, it's because the opposing muscle group potentially is not working well. So sometimes someone will have like, these really tight hamstrings and people think, oh, well, I got to relax those hamstrings. It's like, no, potentially you have to activate the muscles on the opposing side. Right. And that's why these things that are so tight are holding on for dear life. So we talk about sometimes when we're doing a muscle test and we're testing one muscle and you feel it somewhere else and immediately you think, oh, that somewhere else I'm feeling it is the problem. But it's like, no, the muscle that we're testing that is not working that that's the problem. And then we activate that muscle, go back, retest that muscle, and you don't feel the pain somewhere else. You just feel like, oh, that's easy to hold. That's what it should be. So I know that was kind of like a little tangent and I'm going to go into No, because exactly. I'm now going to ask you a question. Oh, okay, yeah, you can take feel you, free. Take you off <laughs> we'll, never get to Greg. Yes. we'll never get to Greg Roscoff, the founder <laughs> yes. of MAT. Yes, we will. We will <laughs> no, we get will. there, Greg. Um, <laughs> could you make a, a, a bold statement and say that many people's experience of pain 
rather than it being perceived as being skeletal or, oh, I've pulled my back, I've done this, I've done that, is actually muscular pain and could be much easier to address. Yes, Neuromuscular, yes. 100%. Like, and and that, that pain, this is what Greg always says, the founder of MAT, that pain is just a check engine light. So you do not want to be chasing that pain around and you also don't want to be turning that check engine light out, off without resolving the issue. So it'd be, I mean, if you went to a mechanic and you had a little check engine light and uh, he was like, oh, let me just take a little hammer. I'll just turn that off. You'd be like, wait, what are you doing? I want you to do the diagnostic thing. And that's with MAT. That's what it does. It goes, well, all right, let me check your range of motion. Let me, oh, you're rotated and your hips hiked and you're, and no wonder your spine's all contorted. That's why, and you get the person's muscles working right. And all of a sudden they're like, whoa, not only do they have mobility back and they don't feel tight, but they, the, the pain is diminished or gone. So that's what we, what we want. And, um, so talk, t- tell us about Greg and, and yeah, how so, old is and yeah, Greg is Greg started this back in 1999, but th- this is that's when he kind of like officially started developing the muscle activation techniques. But he's been practicing and was a very um, um, high level functional um, practitioner practitioner where he was working with professional athletes and everything. So he was good enough with what he was doing before mm-hmm. um, to the point where he's working with like the top athletes in the world. Um, and then what ended up happening was he was working in conjunction with, um, again, and I'm t- kind of telling his story, so I hope I'm doing justice to it, but he was working in conjunction with other practitioners because he's working on these professional sports team. And he had this chiropractor who was doing muscle tests, like not like MAT, but some basic muscle tests. And he would um, found one time when he treated someone, you know, the muscle was working and then he treated someone and then the guy came back and he happened to do the muscle test again and the guy's muscles were off. So all of a sudden Greg's like, okay, well, what did I do to this guy that I turned something off? So he started to throw in tests in his practice. And then he started to refine those tests and started to see all these different things that he'd find, okay, when the muscle's off, it just wreaks havoc on the nervous system. And so he started slowly on top of what he'd already done started kind of developing the system and adding in these muscle tests and taking them to like another level and having a lot of himself and then just trying everything through trial and error and then having a lot of people around him double checking everything and building this. And then he was doing this on his own. I mean, he's not a teaching institution, but people were coming to him saying, Hey, I want to learn what you're doing. And there's such a demand for it that he started just taking people on these nine, like this nine month journey and teaching them this stuff. Um, But again, he's busy with all these professional teams. Like I've tried to get in to see him sometimes him personally. And they're like, he's, he's, this is football season. You're never going to see him or this is basketball season. (laughs) You're never going to see him. And you know, but he, he was teaching people. And so there was like a small turnout churning out every year. But then what happened is it got so successful that he started to partner with Broadview University, which is a teaching institution. So now they're able to disseminate all this information and it's happening more efficiently. More, most of this is happening in the last eight to 10 years. So now it's starting, you're starting to see a lot more practitioners all around the world. Um, But it, it was, you know, it, 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 when it was just him, it was like a slow prof- process. And obviously he wants to make sure everyone he's certifying is up to a certain level and stuff. And now he's able to do that in a more proficient manner because you you go into these um, forums 
having studied all of these, all this information online, and then you show up and you're live and you've practiced and you're, you're just, it's the classes are completely different now than they were say a decade ago. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's great. And we're fortunate because more people can practice it and I can be treated by people and I can treat other people. So, um, but it's not, it it isn't like certain countries will actually send people over (laughs) To, when I take classes, they'll be, oh, there's a, a physiotherapist from this country. There's a doctor from over here. And they're sending them there. Certain governments will actually pay to have their people certified in this because they're realizing that like how valuable it is. Wow. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's always been amazing to me. Um, and um, yeah. So, wow. Yeah. What was my, yeah, gosh, so many questions. What was I going to say to you? I was going to say, yes. Is it a bit of a, okay. Is it a bit of a secret amongst top athletes, as in we've got this special thing? Well, you know, in the athletics world. I think some people, obviously, in in the past are like that. They're like, I don't want to reveal. But I feel like in his case, there's a lot of really generous athletes who, not just him, but people also, and they're talking about it more now on social media. It's getting out there. Like I've seen a lot more. And I think also with Greg, it's like he's been so busy doing it that he hasn't had the time to be like a television personality running around mm, talking about mm, it. So, mm, mm, but he does have like some, you know, like a really well-known golfer, Bryson DeChambeau, who's like made a point of talking a lot about it. And, and there's some basketball players and things who've I mean, made Robbins a point. does it, doesn't he? I, I think- Hasn't he talked um, about it? I don't, I think his people have, there are some people in his camp who've, okay. who've done it. I don't know if he's personally done it, oh, but there okay. are people okay. in his camp who've done it. But yeah, there's pe- there's there's people who I even know like, in the Lakers, they were sending their trainer there to get certified in a class that I was on. And I was familiar with their trainer. He's a good guy. And he's like been this high level trainer for years. And he's in one of these beginning classes, you know, getting certified in MAT. So it just goes to show you how much respect, you know, there is for Greg in the industry. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming along. So we, we have touched on uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, MS. Yep. Are they like the, I'm thinking that word scleroderma. I'm thinking about rheumatoid arthritis. Can we talk about what happens neurologically? Yeah. Because this isn't just, this isn't like, oh, you get your muscle eased, activated. This is changing your neurobiology. You're resetting. It's like a reset for the nervous system. So tell me how that happens. Just break that down. So especially in the RX process, what Greg has found through trial and error is that, you're going in and you're, um, the body lays out um, kind of, it's not neurodevelopmentally, but okay. it's, some things seem to overlap there. But what he's done with through traveling air and through science and kind of testing it all the time and having a lot of people around him test it all the time yeah. is he's found that there are certain things in the body, certain patterns where if, you're, if you can't rotate, if you can't flex your spine, if you can't flex your hip, you're you're going to, everything else is going to be kind of out of order okay. in the nervous system. So what it's doing is it's just drawing the nervous sense system's attention and giving it some sort of order and stability and kind of like you can slowly build out from there. I mean, I have a, a, a young son and he's a year and a half years old and I watched him go from, you know, rolling over to, you know, flexing up, doing all these things. And you see he had to become stable before he could become mobile. Right. And I think as an adult, maybe because you're, instead of on being a, a quadruped on four, you're up on two legs, you're a biped, you're somehow going back and resetting the person 
in, in, in a sense. Right. Um, and just giving the body that sense of stability, it, you know, Greg talks about like when you're walking on ice, you're going to tighten up. So again, if you're melting that ice, so you're walking on a solid floor and your body senses that you're on a solid floor. Think about how different you would walk if you walked outside and the, and the ground was frozen mm-hmm. and you were just walking around. You'd be like all like, yeah. 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 But you, now all of a sudden you start, start to sense, oh, the ground's stable beneath me. Well, that's how what we're doing for your body. We're clarifying almost the neural map of right, your body. Right, right, Because your body now knows, oh, this muscle's here. This, this bone is here. I have full control of this range of motion. And now all of a sudden the body sensing that, that stability, that decompression of the spine is going to be able to operate in a more optimal manner. And you're going to come out of that fight, fight, flight, or freeze and be able to actually function in, in a way that's, you know, uh, where you can still protect your body and take steps and work out or do whatever you need to do. Well, and just feel good. Feel yeah, good in it. Yeah, yeah, just feel. What, what's, the, uh, what's the research around depression, anxiety, Alzheimer's. Did we talk about this? Am I getting confused with another conversation? Um, the I brain scans or have I overlapped? We may have overlapped. Um, but, you know, like with regard to all of these diseases, when there's inflammation, if you can turn down the inflammation, which MAT is doing, that is decreasing inflammation. I mean, you can, you've even seen someone walk in with a big swollen ankle and they're treating stuff and the swelling is going down and they're treating something up in the hip and the swelling in the ankle wow. is going down. Wow. And, and now those are like high level practitioners, acute cases. Usually we we're not there when someone's just sprained an ankle, but sometimes in Greg's situation and in some other practitioner situations, they're like right there on the sideline and they're doing something to help the person or the person's walking in with crutches and <laughs> walking out with no crutches. So yeah. what yeah. about someone who's had, well, post-traumatic stress disorder, cause you're continually in that state of shock, aren't yeah. you? Shell shocked. Yeah. Or someone who has panic attacks. I mean, yeah, I'm or afraid... traumatic brain injuries. Yes. Yeah, they, they what work is it with, with traumatic brain of, injuries? Well, it, and Greg himself was in an accident where he was thrown like 50 feet out of the car. I mean, mm. could have been further than that. And he had a traumatic brain injury. And um, what happened was they came back. Again, I'm telling all of his stories and I hope I'm doing justice to yeah. them and, and that there's I'm some hooked. accuracy there. But um, yeah, he so he got thrown out of this automobile, had this traumatic brain injury, and then was just, you know, they're doing all these therapies on him and the brainwave activity really wasn't improving and he was feeling not good at all. And he was able to fly out his practitioner, obviously, and they worked on him. And the next thing you know, they're doing pre and post brain scans and going, you've had in 45 minutes, an hour, you've had six months of improvement in this brainwave activity. Wow. And so there is... It, you know, a lot of these things are hard to measure, like eight, a heart rate variability, but it's like, I know when I go and I do an MAT session, my heart rate variability improves mm-hmm. uh, a, a great deal. And it, it stays that way for a, a long period of time. Um, so there's lots of those objective measures that we now have, we can do with our phones, with our Fitbits and all these things that you can look at and go, oh my gosh, my heart rate's going down. My heart rate variability is, mm-hmm. is improving and mm-hmm. going up. The brainwave activity, they've, they do those, they have machines that test that and pre and post and they're like, wow, the brainwave activity. But a lot of times they're also working with a lot of vets too. Yeah. And, and they're, they've improved. Um, 
to the point where, you know, someone's going in and they're feeling terrible. They're going back and forth, vacillating from being angry to almost crying. And they do a session and all of a sudden the person's just feeling like back centered normal. So again, it's working on the neural, that's the stress here that it's, you're working on the neuromuscular system. So we're not there trying to do any therapy, you know, outside our scope of practice, but you improve that neuromuscular system, you reset the nervous system all of a sudden the person gets out of that fight or flight and and back into that parasympathetic um, state that they want to be in. And and that's what's happening. I think there should be muscle activation technique centers like, you know, old Roman public baths and everyone (laughs) should do it. But I just think, so if anyone's listening to this, if anyone's listening, hello, one listener, thanks mom. (laughs) (laughs) Whoever's listening to this, uh, it, it just tends, it, it tends all, all your systems. It's, and, and as I said before, I'm repeating myself, it's not just physical. And for me, it's a, a oh, it's, it's transformative yeah. and, and, and how it helps your emotional, uh, body. Let's use that yeah. word body. Yeah. So before we wrap up, yeah. you've been here since February. Yes. Haven't you? Yes. But I know that you've lived in the UK before. Clearly, you've been allowed to come back. Yeah, they let they let me back in. <laughs> someone slipped Run, up. <laughs> running through passport control. Yeah. yeah, with a bag on your head. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and you are about to open up a clinic or a practice in London. Yes. But you're currently practicing at my local gym, which is where I came across you. Yes. As I said, my good fortune continues. Tell us about that. Which yeah. is called Trey Fitness. Yes. Because Trey, the manager, hello Trey, we'll be listening to this. Yes. And he'll yes. go, yes. Yeah, yeah. Trey. A plug for Trey Fitness. Let me repeat that. Yes. I'm working out of Trey Fitness at the spa there. Is that Trey? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah with with Carolee, skin by Carolee. <laughs> yeah. And um in in my company, I call it IRT or an intrinsic resistance training, uh-huh. which is a mouthful. Um, but yeah, so I I'm working there and I'm gonna be working out of calmer clinics in London, which I'm really excited to do starting later this month or early next month. Um, so, and you can find information on my website, we'll irt.fitness. Anyway. Yeah, we'll have perfect, it all. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, um, so yeah, uh, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing that and I'm excited to be here. It's, it's been like a lot of fun and, um, I've definitely enjoyed working with, with people from the UK thus far. So yeah. Um, because, and I'm saying, if you get a chance to see Patrick, see him because it's life changing. And I'm, I really mean that. I don't say that about everybody. Oh, um, you. what's your kind of main... Uh, I don't want you to, well, I'm getting you to kind of pitch, but what's your main kind of mission with all of it? You know, your, what drives you? Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's just getting people balanced and and getting them to kind of live their best life. I mean, it sounds, it sounds nutty, but like people come to me and they're just in pain. I'm like, okay, I want to get you out of pain. And then the next thing they start doing is like, Hey, I'm out of pain. I didn't realize that I was still going to be able to do this. I just thought this was an age issue. Well, now I want to get, get, you know, be stronger. I want to play with my kid and be able to get up and down off the floor without being in pain or play with my puppy or whatever. Mm. Or I also have some people who are athletes and they want to perform more. You know, I've worked with people who, you know, are that ex- that extreme where it's just about performance and they want to keep up leveling their performance all the time, or they want to do marathons or sprints or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really just trying to take someone and it, it can be about improving performance or it can be about just eliminating that chronic pain, which all of it's kind of when you improve the persons and, and you're taking them out of the, the 
eliminating the pain is the byproduct of getting them stronger and more balanced. So it's not like we're trying to directly treat that pain. It is just a byproduct of being stronger. And then up-leveling the performance, again, is having order in the nervous system and just being stronger. So they're all byproducts of treating that neuromuscular system and getting a healthy, well-functioning neuromuscular system that functions and the muscles fire and fire on demand. Because I think also when that happens, things naturally just fall away. Old patterns of behavior negative thinking, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. We're going to wrap up very okay. shortly. Is there anything I haven't picked up on that you would particularly like to say? I, I really think we've covered it all and some. Of, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, whoa, I, I can't believe we discussed all of these topics. <laughs> <laughs> I blame yes, you. <laughs> yeah, no, do blame me. It's my fault. It's like a ping pong match, isn't it? Um, so my final question yeah. is, apart from thank you so much for coming on Love This Food Thing podcast, it's been joyful. My final question is, if you were going to an island, any kind of island, any kind of climate, you have a store cupboard with seasoning, olive oil, etc. in there, what five foods would you take with you? Oh my gosh. Oh. You can change your mind tomorrow. Yes, I know. You know, I'm, I've, I've been thinking since I've been here in Folkestone and I'm getting a shout out to the Sunshine Cafe here. I've been having Turkish breakfast. Okay. So you're going to take a complete meal, a Turkish <laughs> I'm gonna, breakfast? Uh, yeah, I'm going to take, I mean, <laughs> eggs. I got to take that sausage, that kosher sausage. And I got to take uh, this little bread called simit. Okay. And some uh, cucumbers and okay. I don't know, honey. I don't know. Oh my God, that's five. That's amazing. That, <laughs> that was like the quickest works. ever. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, I'm going to take a Turkish breakfast. Okay, I'm going to take some strawberries. and Take yeah. some mochas. No. <laughs> Patrick, thank you so much thank for coming you. on Love This Food Thing podcast. Thanks so much All for All your information me. will be on our show notes and on the website. And do you have an Instagram page? Yes, I do, we I do. Yeah, uh, yeah it's irt.fitness, okay. I, th- okay. I believe, or however however they oh, do it on Instagram. I don't even know. Maybe it's an underscore, irt underscore. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? We don't know. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Love This Food Thing. If you'd like to reach me, I'm on Instagram, at Love This Food Thing, or you can head to our website, lovethisfoodthing.com. Join our community. Everyone's welcome. Catch you in the next episode.